0: Good morning, church family. As you guys are making your way to the seats, it's okay if I just testify for a moment. I want to testify. I want to testify. Today is a big mile marker in my life because exactly to this day, two years ago, I had brain surgery. Now, for those of you that are relatively new to destiny, about two and a half years ago, I started experiencing some major neurological problems. I started having some seizures. I started experiencing aphasia, which is where you can't find your words. I got to the point where I could not even read a sentence. Because I couldn't read, that also meant that I couldn't write. I couldn't have an intelligent conversation, and I got to the point where I had to step back from the pulpit, and some of my elders and pastors filled the pulpit for me, and we did not know what was happening, but we eventually found that I had a tumor that was close to the size of a baseball, and my neurologist told me that it was probably cancer. Now, here's the real kicker was I had just gotten news just a few weeks prior to that that my wife had a tumor wrapped around her vagus nerve and the initial diagnosis was that she had lymphoma. Anybody ever been in a place where you feel like your world is coming down, crashing upon you? Well, I can safely raise my hand and say, I've been there. But you know what? I am now two years on the other side of that thing where I thought I would never be standing here doing what I'm doing today. But you know what? I want to give testimony this morning for any of you who maybe your world has come crashing down on you and there's some difficult things that's coming down upon you. I want you to know our God is faithful. He will see you through what you thought was impossible, what you thought there's no way that this could ever happen. I thought I was done. But look, when we get at the end of ourselves, that's when we see God come through the strongest. When our resources have fully ran out, much like the woman with the issue of blood, and we reach hold of the hem of his garment, that's when the miraculous comes. So I just wanted to testify and just give glory to my good God for his faithfulness. And watch this. The the, the scripture says this in the book of Revelation, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? See, anytime you testify, what it does is it ignites something in the spirit. And it makes a prophetic declaration that God did it then, God can do it now. And so for some of you that need that word this morning, say, I'm grabbing a hold of that word because right now I got all the hell coming against me. Well, guess what? Whenever all the hell is coming against you, all of heaven is fighting for you. Amen? Praise God. Can we just worship the Lord real quick? Lord, we love you for your goodness, God, your faithfulness, Lord. We bless you, God. And and if you're here this morning and you need to praise him by faith, it's okay. It's okay. If you're going right through the middle of what you're going through, praise him in the storm. That's a word from someone. I said praise him in the storm. Lord, we do that, Lord. By faith, we trust you, Lord. By faith, God, we won't throw in the towel. By faith, Lord, you have shown yourself faithful time and time again. Lord, you got us through. Lord, in the past, you'll get us through today. And so we thank you for it, Lord. So, Lord, we hold on to that resolve. That, God, you are true. The word says, let every man be a liar. But yet, God, you are always faithful. So we thank you for it, Lord. We love you. We give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. And everyone says Amen. In the Lord, good, you guys. Amen. Well, hey, um, I want to give you guys a little bit of an update. I've had several of you asking about the property, and so I thought I'd just take this opportunity to let you know where we are with the property. Just for those of you that are just joining us, also, we are in the per- are in the process of purchasing land where we are going to build, and we're going to have our own building. So come on, somebody. That's been 12 years, almost 12 years, be 12 years in March that we've had our birthday, and that's 12 years in the making. I'm so excited about it. Just this week, I met with our seller, and he is very um, on top of what's happening. Um, it's going to probably be about another, maybe a month and a half before everything's finalized, but man, I'll tell you what, when it comes to dealing with government on stuff, <laughs> wow. Are they slow? I mean, they do not get in a hurry for anything except to take your money. But um, anyway, isn't uh, that interesting? April 15 comes around every year. But um, anyway, it should be, according to his best uh, guesstimation, uh, the end of February. We should have it completely done. The property will be ours, and we'll be able to move forward in breaking ground. So praise the Lord, somebody. Come on. It's exciting. Exciting stuff. Well, um, I want to share something with you that I heard many years ago. A guy went to God and he asked God, he said, God, is it true that to you a billion years is like a second? God said, it's true. And he says, God, and is it also true that a billion dollars is like a penny to you? He said, yeah, it's true. So the guy then says, and God, he says, could I have a penny? And God said, sure, in just a second. (laughs) It's a good thing I'm a pastor, not a comedian, right? (laughs) But I do want to just use that cheesy joke, if I could, to um, just talk about something that has eternal significance. And if you're here and you're just joining us, we have been on a series called Unhindered, where we've been going verse by verse through the book of Colossians, and last week I shared the first part of Colossians 4, 5, which says to walk with wisdom with the outsiders or with out, toward outsiders. How many of you know that sometimes you come to a verse in the Bible and you can't even get through the whole verse because there's so much that God wants to show you? That was kind of last week and this week's message. Well, Paul continues in that same verse, and I'm going to give you now the other half of it by saying, making the best use of the time. Now, as the the joke goes, a billion years is uh, like a second to God, but we're not God. You see, time is your most precious resource. It's far more valuable than money. I mean, if that guy in the... Joke should have asked for anything. It should have been more time. Why? Because we have only been given a certain amount of time that is allotted to us. And I hope this morning to be able to bring your attention to this important truth. Because watch this. You can't make time. You can't borrow time. You can't even extend time nor save time. You can only use it. And each one of us have been given the same amount of time every week, 168 hours. And if you don't know how to manage your time well, you can't manage anything in your life because your time is your life. Now, I encourage you guys to take notes this morning. I said to someone this morning, I said, this is a message that will hit anyone from 15 to 65, or to 85, and at every season in life. So this is a message that you're going to take with you and be able to apply at every juncture in your life. In your Bible, there are two Greek words that are used in the New Testament to describe time. You're going to hear me say these a lot today. Chronos and Kairos. Now, chronos represents chronological time. Actually, that's where we get the word chronological. It's the minutes and it's the hours that pass by on our clocks. Kairos, on the other hand, represents a moment of opportunity. It represents a season that carries divine significance. And here's what you need to know. The Bible actually speaks extensively about both. And so let me just expound upon these words, and then we're going to look at what God has to say about them. Again, if you're taking notes, chronos is the steady click ticking of the clock. It's the routine of our daily lives. It's the time also that we usually take for granted. It's the time that we use spending, uh, working, commuting, sleeping, eating. It's the chronos that fills our calendars and our to-do lists. This is the time that we must manage wisely because we only have so much of it. So let me ask you something. How good are you at managing your time? I think it's interesting uh, that we have financial managers, those who manage our money, and, and, and thank God that we do. Thank God for them. But I've yet to hear about a career as a time manager. As a matter of fact, I Googled and I couldn't find one single person who held that title. All the results that came up was just giving you some software or app on how to best manage your time. Why? Because you see, we are the ones who have to manage our time and it's important that we do so wisely because it's how we handle the chronos that sets us up for the kairos. Now let me expound just a little bit more upon kairos. Kairos are the special moments, the divine appointments, and the opportunities that God places in our path. Kairos are not bound by our clocks. They actually transcend them. These are the moments when God's presence intersects with our daily lives, inviting us to participate in his divine plan. And here's the thing, recognizing and responding to those kairos moments, it requires faith and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. See, as believers, we are called to redeem both kronos and kairos through faith. Our faith isn't just confined to our moments of worship and, and prayer, but it also extends into how we steward every second of kronos and sees every kairos moment. When I was in Bible college, I had a professor once say to me, time is the only currency in heaven. And that professor's words has stuck with me, and they've challenged me to remember that we're to see and to use the time that God has given us for his purposes. You see, in the grand scheme of eternity, our earthly existence is but a brief moment. The choices that we make with our time have profound implications on eternity. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, it reminds us of our ultimate purpose. And I just want to remind you of your ultimate purpose. It says this, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. See, Satan is working overtime in order to create a strategy to keep us busy with trivial matters in order to distract us from life's ultimate purpose. And this is an important point for us to catch because often whenever the devil comes at us, it isn't always to just tempt us with evil. Sometimes he just tries to keep us occupied with the insignificant. Like if he can't get you to be bad, then he'll just get you to be busy. The enemy of your soul knows that a distracted Christian is an ineffective one. This is where Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 comes into play. It says, be very careful then how you live. Well, that goes back to last week's message, doesn't it? How you live matters. Matters to God, matters to others. He says, be very careful then how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every, what, opportunity. Some of you, probably your translation in your Bible says time, but it's kairos, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Church, we are called to live wisely, recognizing that every moment is an opportunity for God's work. Our faith prompts us to see beyond the ticking of the clock and to seize divine appointments. Psalm 90 and verse 12 says, teach us, O Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. See, there's a wisdom that comes whenever you recognize the brevity of life and we look to God to be the one who manages our time. See, when we number our days, we're not just merely counting down to the final moments of life, but we're gaining a heightened awareness of the significance of each day. That means that we live on purpose. That means that we live intentionally. You see, it's that awareness that ignites a heart of wisdom within us, understanding that every choice Every decision and every investment of our time carries eternal significance. When we pray, teach us to number our days, we're essentially inviting God to be the divine timekeeper and to be our God. You see, this type of wisdom extends beyond mere time management because, watch this, it encompasses discernment, purpose, and eternal perspective. In the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon shed some light on what we're talking about right here. He said that there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heaven. He eloquently describes the ebb and flow of human existence by capturing the essence of chronos and kairos. And all throughout the book, he encourages us to embrace the seasons of life, And recognize the divine moments that are within them. See, we must learn to manage our chronos wisely, knowing that our faithfulness in our daily routines prepares us for the kairos moments when God's purpose unfolds. So what's that mean practically? Well, first, it means that we have to refocus our priorities, God wants to use us, but he can only do so whenever we invest our chronos and kairos time in what truly matters. Now, that means this. That means that we must see our time, use our time in view of eternity. And in order to do that, we have to ask ourselves a few different questions. Questions like, how does the way I spend my time align with God's eternal purposes? Or, what am I investing my time in that will have a lasting significance? I think one practical way that we can learn to prioritize our time is by investing in relationships. Prioritize time with family, with friends, with loved ones build strong God-honoring relationships that not only enrich our lives, but also contribute to our eternal impact. I don't know if you've ever considered this or not, but our relationships go beyond our earthly existence. In heaven, we will recognize and know those with whom we have relationship. Come on, some of you that's loved ones, aren't you thankful for that? Not only that, but watch this, investing in those relationships have huge eternal implications. As a matter of fact, outside of our relationship with God, it's the greatest single thing that we could do. That's why he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul strength. Greatest thing you do. Love your neighbor as yourself right next to it. Which leads me to another way that we can prioritize our time, and that's by contributing to spiritual growth. And when I say spiritual growth, I'm not just talking about in our own lives, but also the spiritual growth of the lives of others. In other words, for that is called discipleship. And there are so many different ways that we can accomplish this. I mean, it doesn't have to be a special meeting, but any time that you have available, think, how can I use this time for impact? Like, for example... If you have just two minutes, send someone a text with a word of encouragement. Like let's say you're waiting for your large decaf honey vanilla latte. <laughs> and instead of feeding your cows on heyday, think, who could use some encouragement? Because I promise you, your heyday cows aren't going to end up in heaven, but the person that you're sending a word of encouragement just might. By the way, if you're not sure about who needs encouragement, let me just tell you who does. Everyone does. There's not a person that I know who does not need encouragement. But I'm also talking about us using that extra time for our own spiritual development as well. Kind of like whenever you go to the airplane and they said if the mass drops down, make sure that you securely place it on yours and then someone else. When I was younger, I always thought that, that, well, how selfish is that? You know, Shouldn't you take care of other people until it dawned on me as I got older and wiser and more mature? I can't help anyone else if I'm not breathing. Right. Hello? Yep. Maybe that's the reason that some people aren't loving their neighbor as themselves because they don't love themselves. So we've got to make sure that we're not only investing in spiritual growth and others, we've got to make sure that we are tending to our own spiritual growth. Again, who needs encouragement? Everyone needs encouragement. And practically speaking, instead of like mindlessly scrolling through social media, use that time to listen to a great podcast. If you don't know any, let me throw one off the top of my head. The Craig Groeschel Leadership Podcast. You want to grow, you want to be challenged, you want to be a leader in any area of your life, even if all you're leading is your kids or the cat, like, look, <laughs> this is going to help you to grow. It's going to challenge you. Or how about this? Get caught up on some of those messages that you didn't get to hear in the Unhindered series, right? Here's another one right here for you to write down prioritize your time by investing in serving others. Now, this one right here is really closely related to the last one, but it has a, a specialized interest. And what I mean by that is uh, often this type of investment, it builds over time. Like you may not see it right away, but, but it compounds. Years ago, I went through Financial Peace University with Dave Ramsey. How many of you have ever went through Financial Peace University? It's great. I love it. Maybe we'll offer that again sometime this year. But I remember something that he had shared. He said that when you turn 18, if you will save $100 a month, just $100 a month, and you put it into a mutual fund at a 12% return, that's your average return on the S&P, Right. So you can, you can get that. I think my, that's about where mine is, right? Then when you turn 56, you'll be a millionaire. Just a little FYI for all you college students right there. Come on, trade in that Starbucks from some Folgers, and you might just find yourself being able to retire early. <laughs> Hello? Oh, on another fact, and then whenever you turn 67, that's just if you just put 100 bucks in. Fun little side note right here. At retirement age, 67, that million becomes 3.5 Now, while, But watch this. This compound interest that I'm talking about right here, it's not just true in money. But anytime you serve others, one day I promise you, and I hope this is a word of encouragement to some of you, that you're going to see the positive effects of your investment. Church, I can't tell you how many times I have gotten to witness this in my own life. Remember, the Bible says that whatever you sow, you will also reap. And oftentimes, whenever we hear a verse, that verse particularly read, uh, we think that it's because, oh, well, someone's doing something wrong, and so therefore, they're going to have to suffer the consequence. But actually, the Scripture is speaking to both sides of the coin. Yeah, it does talk about whenever we make bad choices, that there is a consequence that comes with it. But it's also saying that when we do good, we get to see the results of the good seed that we have sown. I remember whenever I our first moved to Jacksonville, I met this young pharmacy worker. She loved the Lord, and she had a huge heart for people. She also loved her job. And through her job, she would often see people who had need of more than just what medicine could provide. And what I mean by that is that she would see people who were depressed or lonely. Well, there was one lady who would often come to the pharmacy and my friend picked up on the fact that she was lonely, and so she invited her out and took her out to dinner. Well, that dinner led to a great friendship. Now, several years went by, and that older lady died. And whenever my friend heard about her death, it was from an attorney. It was the attorney calling to let her know about her death, but she was also informing this young pharmacy assistant about something that she had no clue about. You see, that older lady was rich. And in the will, she had left everything that she had to this young pharmacy assistant. Now, watch this. This is a true story. I was one of the ones that helped her. She came to me at first and said look at this she drove me to her house that was given to her and man it was a nice house over in Ponte Vedra with nice expensive cars and not only that she had a ton of money that was also given to her now I was almost reluctant to tell you that story because I don't want you to think that if we will serve others that one day you will find that that person that you're serving is rich no <laughs> If you do that, that's called self-serving, and God will not honor it. But the point is this. When you serve, you never know the implication of your investment. And I mentioned service along with what we're talking about today because service requires time. I mean, service isn't done in a vacuum. And I just want to encourage those of you who have consistently, that's many of you in this room I know, that have consistently invested your time, time through service, week after week. I want you to know that your service is not in vain. It's making a difference, far greater than you'll ever know. I feel a word in my spirit right now for a parent who has made investments in your kids, and you feel like you've not seen the return on the investment. You know, the interesting thing about the compound interest when they did that $100 a month, it kind of looked pretty flat for a while, but there comes a point when it does this. And it's true in the relationships and the investments that you make in your life in a relationship. You may feel like, man, I have been given and given and given and given, and then all of a sudden, one day, that curve goes like this. Your service is not in vain. Do you hear me? It's not in vain. See, for every second that you have spent serving others, God will provide a reward. And his reward is even nicer than a nice house and some cool sports cards and a lot of money. Don't get me wrong, nothing wrong with those things, but I promise you God's reward is even better. Amen? Now, earlier I said that we must use our time in view of eternity, and I gave you some questions to ask. Here are a couple more to ask. How can I make the most of each day to advance the kingdom of God? And this question right here has massive implications because there's nothing greater on the heart of God but than to see his kingdom advance. Hey, the Bible says that we are called into the kingdom for such a what? Time as this. Church, I want you to know something. You were born and you are alive because God ordained it. The Bible says that all of your days were written in his books before yet one of them came to pass. So here's the truth that each and every one of you need to know. Your pulse is proof that you have a purpose. The time that God has allotted for us to live on this earth was established well before he created the earth. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 through 6 says that in Christ, He chose us before the world was made so that we would be His holy people, people without blame before Him. Let me just say this boldly and loudly. God created you for a purpose. He created you for a purpose, and that purpose, in that purpose, you have been given a designated amount of time. The question is, what are you doing with it? Now, that's not a condemning question, but it is a challenge. That's a realignment and a refocusing, if you will. You say, but pastor, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure what I need to do. I, I want to do the right thing. Well, let me just encourage you and say that, you know, wanting to do the right thing is a great place to start. I mean, the mere fact that you have the desire to do the right thing, that's good. But if you really want to grab hold of what we're talking about today, which is making the best use of your time, then allow yourself to be led by the Holy Spirit and recognize and respond to those kairos moments. You see, as we navigate the chronos of our daily lives, we do so with the awareness that our faithfulness in the ordinary prepares us for the extraordinary. It's the faithful stewardship of our chronos that positions us to embrace and engage with the Cairo. So are you following with me on this? I know that I'm saying those words a lot, but I'm making sure that you don't forget them. My wife says that reputation is the best teacher, all right? And let me just dive just a bit deeper here if I could because I want you to see the connection between faith and time. Hebrews 11 says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. One translation says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith isn't a passive belief. It's an active assurance and conviction in God's promises and unseen realities. Now, when we apply this definition To time, we discover that faith involves the assurance of God's eternal purposes and the conviction that our actions in Kronos impact eternity. It's believing that our faithfulness today matters not only in the present, but in the grand narrative of God's redemptive plan. In James chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, James reminds us of the brevity of life, much in the same way as David and Solomon and and Paul does. And he highlights the importance of us living with an eternal perspective. He said, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Here we see the intersection between the chronos and the kairos. James acknowledges the fleeting nature of our time, of our chronos, but he encourages us to trust God's sovereignty and his plan. See, living with an eternal perspective means that our chronos. We surrender it to God, recognizing that our kairos moments are in his hands. Let me say that again because I expected more than one amen out of that statement. It means that whenever we manage our chronos wisely, here's what it does. It creates a backdrop for the kairos. When we manage our time wisely, It creates a backdrop for the miraculous. Now, I want to bring today's message to a close with one last thought. Stand with me to your feet if you would. I'm going to give you another Leonard Ravenhill quote. I think I gave you one last week. If you don't know who that is, you need to look him up because his book, Why Revival Tarries, sits at the top of my list. Top three favorite, maybe my favorite. Great revivalist of the 20th century, Leonard Ravenhill, once said, The opportunity of a lifetime needs to be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. Let me say it again. The opportunity of a lifetime needs to be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. Now, we can apply what he said right there in many different ways, but I wanna apply it here and now. If you are here, and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you have the opportunity, the kairos, to be able to do that right now. But remember that the opportunity of a lifetime, and by the way, what we're talking about right now, salvation, is the opportunity of a lifetime but it must be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. You say, Pastor, I'm not following with you here. Well, then let me make it plain. Grace is available to you as long as you are living. But many have declined this chance, and they are no longer alive. But once life ends, the opportunity for salvation is no longer present. Now, if you're here this morning, and you're not walking with God the fact that you can hear my voice right now is good news because what that means is that grace is offered to you but you must receive it and the way that you receive it is by acknowledging your need for a savior and friend i just got to tell you every person that has ever lived on this planet needs a savior because the bible teaches that all have sinned all all all-inclusive all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God but watch this God demonstrated his own love towards us in this Christ died for us while we were still yet sinners that means that you don't have to go and get your act together and then God will receive you in he receives you just the way that you are in his grace you to come as you are. And so I just want to speak to who's here this morning that you've not received the grace that he has offered you. Grab hold of that opportunity. It is the opportunity of the lifetime, but it must be seized within the opportunity or the lifetime of the opportunity. So if you're here and we're talking about heaven and hell stuff right now, we're dealing with souls right now. And you're not right with God. Friend, what in this world are you waiting on? Do you think that there's something out in the world that's going to provide for you something better than what God has? If you believe that, friend, you have believed a lie. What profit a man if he gains the whole entire world yet loses his own soul? Friend, what you need and what I need and what this world needs is Jesus, a resurrected Savior. A God that we can trust. A God who is faithful. A God who will take you from being at the place where the world has come crashing down on you. (laughs) If I can just go back to testifying for a moment. And he will see you through that storm. He didn't say that you wouldn't have to walk through it. He said he would walk through it with you. So if you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you say, man, I want to surrender my heart to God. I want to be a real Christian, not just a Christian who shows up to church and says, I'm a Christian. Look, going to church doesn't make you a Christian no more than going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. It's a heart that says to God, God, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I ask you, Jesus, save me. And he says, yes, I've already done it. All you got to do is receive it. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to boldly right now, if you're saying, man, I want to give my life to Christ right now, I'm going to pray with you right where you are. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand by faith. Yeah, yeah, who else? Raise your hand by faith. Say, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm not playing games. I don't want to play church. I don't want to be that guy that shows up to church and and, and I'm not really fully walking after God. You say, I want, my, I want my heart to be all in for God right now. Right now, he receives you, friend. He receives you, sees the opportunity during this this opportunity of a lifetime, because it's an opportunity that you don't have after you breathe your last breath. Anyone else, we're going to pray. For those of you that are watching online, I want you to know that this invitation has no expiration date. If you're hearing these words five, ten, a hundred years from now, the expiration date has not hit till you've breathed your last breath. I'm going to pray with those who've raised their hands for those who may be watching online, and we're going to confess Jesus as Lord. We're con- going to confess our need for a Savior to Him right now. And I'm going to ask, Saints of God, I know that many of you, I'm looking around the room, I know that most of you in this room, you obviously, you've already surrendered your life to Christ. But there are some here today that right now they're surrendering their life to Christ. They're saying, I'm all in. So what we're going to all do together right now is we're going to all together confess our need for Jesus. Would you pray with me right now, especially those of you that says, "That's me. I want. I want Jesus." Pray these words from the bottom of your heart. Mean them. Pray this prayer of surrender out loud. Pray, Lord Jesus, I confess my need for a Savior. I ask you, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from it and make you the Lord of my life. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and that you died on the cross for my sin and the sin of the world. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave just as your word says. And now I want to live my life to know you, to make you known, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Come on, can we thank God for salvation this morning? What a good God!